The question is not, do you have a propensity to be addicted to social media? The question is, do you realize that you have a propensity to be addicted to social media? And so I would tell you what I've found is that it is more helpful for me that when I want to post something from my phone to literally re-download the specific app, post the thing from my phone, and then undownload it than it is for that to just constantly be a well that I come back to. I think it's wise and in your best interest to remove social media from your phone. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Today, we're wrapping up a three-part series called Tactics for Entrepreneurial Sanity. And the whole series was really based on one principle that we talk about all the time within the Path for Growth community. If you want to put your business in order, start by putting yourself in order. Here's the deal. I've never seen a toxic, weak, unhealthy, scattered leader lead a healthy, centered, stable, strong, systemized, organized business. I've never seen it. And I'm not really going to put my money on you being the first. And so it's through that lens of if you want to put your business in order, start by putting yourself in order, that we've looked at some of the things that matter most for putting yourself in order. We look first at your sleep. Then we looked at your relationships, and today we're going to be looking at your time. And my bet is that I don't really have to persuade you that time is the most valuable resource that you have. But let's think about why that's the case. Well, I believe time is the most valuable resource that you have because it is the most limited, finite, and scarce resource that you have. Here's the deal. If you have time, you can make more money. But if you have money, there's no way you can make more time. And so one of the things that it would be wise to recognize here as we jump into these tactics is that you've been given an extremely valuable gift, the most valuable gift, which is time. It's something that you have right now. And your response to that, our response to that gift should be gratitude. Now, how do we express gratitude for the gift of time that we've been given? We steward it well. We take responsibility for maximizing what we've been given in service of others. And so that's how I really went about creating this content is how can we maximize the gift that we've been given being time so that it can be optimized in service of others. And what we're going to walk through today is just 11 really simple tactics. These are things that I think you can actually apply most of them pretty quickly But although the application of them will be quick, what really matters is sustaining them, not just starting them. And so it'll be really easy probably to do a couple of these, honestly, probably today. But what I want you to focus on is not just doing it today, but rather applying them with consistency because we talk about it all the time, consistency compounds. So let's jump in to the first tactic, clarify and document your big three for each day. Here's the deal. I think that this tactic is really great for two types of people. Number one, if you lack focus 
And then number two is if you lack a sense of traction. So often, one of the greatest strengths that entrepreneurs have is that they're very excitable and they're very energetic and they're constantly pointing their attention at a wide variety of different things. Are you that person, right? And we always hear that analogy being squirrel, 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 right? Because you're constantly chasing down other rabbit trails and you're constantly looking for new things. And that's one of the gifts that you have. So I certainly don't want to diminish that, but rather I want to focus that energy and focus that creativity so that it creates a return for you and others. So if you lack focus, I think that this is a great tactic for you. But then the other person that it's for is the person that feels that they lack a sense of traction. Have you ever worked day after day after day after day and just been feeling like you're really busy, but then you look up and you say, I don't know what I actually got done. That is such a depressing and awful feeling. And I think that this tactic that we're talking about right here is really good for that. Because all I'm talking about is at the beginning of each day, label the three most important things that you're going to get done that day. And really, when you write these things down, it's not like saying, oh, if it's convenient, I'm gonna get these things done. Or if I can, I'm gonna get these things done. No, writing these things down represents a commitment to getting these things done. And so what I want you to do is not just organize these top three for the day around what feels urgent because we know urgency doesn't move the business forward and certainly emergency doesn't move the business forward. What really moves your organization forward, the people forward and you forward is whenever you dedicate your attention to not just what's urgent, but rather what's important. And this idea of the big three was really, uh, from my perspective, popularized by Michael Hyatt in his full focus planner. And I know because I've talked to a lot of you, you've used uh, that system before. And that's such a powerful system because it challenges you at the beginning of every single day to write down your big three. But I'll tell you, in my office, and I can look at it from where I'm recording this podcast right now, I've got my whiteboard set up. And that whiteboard is where I label my big three at the beginning of each day. And just looking up there right now, I've got three things. I've got uh, attend our team meeting and help lead it. I've got write a report for a debrief that I'm going to be presenting to our leadership team next Monday. And I've got record one podcast, which we're doing right now. And I can't tell you how helpful it is for me to maintain focus, but also have a sense of traction because as I complete those things, I can check them off. And then I know that I'm winning because I defined what winning looked like at the beginning of the day. And here's what's really cool is I start looking ahead a week ahead. I've got columns on my whiteboard now and I start looking a week ahead and I start filling in the blocks of what I'm going to do with my big three for each day uh, well before the day gets here so that oftentimes I'm starting the day already with an idea of what winning looks like. Here's the deal. Most people don't do this. Most people are scattered with their time. They dedicate and devote their attention to a wide variety of areas. And they do what I would call lily padding, right? If you think of a frog on a bunch of lily pads, they they jump half-heartedly from one thing to the next. And therefore, they never reap the benefits of being in one place for an extended period of time and devoting their attention, their resources, their effort, their energy, their creativity, and their brilliance to that thing. But then even beyond that, even if people do think about the top three things that they're going to do that day, they certainly don't document it. 
And here's what I want you to focus on with regard to writing it down. Make it visible. This is why sometimes a notebook can be something that I don't really like that much or putting it in your phone. Number one, I don't like to have my phone out in the morning too much. But then also, if you're putting it in a book that you close, then you can't constantly put your eyes back on it. And I'll tell you, if I can't have my eyes on it, my attention will deviate. In some ways, the whiteboard in my office operates as a judge, right? It operates as a judge saying, are you focusing on what you said you were going to focus on? And so I will tell you, the reason why I put this first is because I think it's one of the kingpin things that if you do this thing, just write your big three for the day. uh, It's the one thing that you do that will make many of the other things radically more possible. Now, here's an argument that I anticipate from this tactic. Well, I'm doing way more than three things a day. I didn't ask if you were doing way more than three things a day. I'm sure you're doing more than three things a day. What I said is let's focus on the three most important things that you have to accomplish that you're non-negotiably committed to getting accomplished. Because I know other things are going to come up. That's the reality of being someone that owns or runs a business. My question is not, are things going to come up? My question is, is in the midst of things coming up, are you still going to be able to have time to focus on what's important? Clarify and document your big three for each day. Let's go to number two. Engage in distraction-free work once a day. Here's the deal. I want you to have at least one block of It would be awesome if it would be an hour of at least an hour where your door is closed, your phone is put away, and there's no tabs open on your computer that you're not actively using for the work that you're doing. How often do you do that? Once a day? Once a week? Once a month? Here's what I'll tell you. If you can have the discipline to do that for one hour, once a day, it will blow your mind how much you will get done. And I bet it will blow your mind how good you feel at the end of it. Because I recognize this for myself. There's two ways that I can do work like that, which is what Cal Newport would call deep work, where I'm immersed in what I'm doing, where I'm fully present with it, where I'm engaged in it, and I'm able to be all there where my feet are with the thing or task that's at hand. Or there's a style of work where my mind is in a billion different places and where I'm constantly bouncing from my inbox to my phone, to the work, to a conversation, to my text messages, to looking outside to going and grabbing a snack, and it's just not helpful. And and, and so what I will tell you is my experience is that the time where I'm actually working the hardest, being the deep work, is the time that I actually feel more energized on the backside of it. It's whenever I'm constantly deviating, distracting, engaging with multiple things at once that I actually feel really tired at the end of that hour. And so commit yourself to the discipline of engaging in distraction-free work for at least one hour a day. And you may say, well, one hour, I can do that. Okay, but can you do it every single day? Because that's what's going to create the compounding effect. Commit to something that you can do every single day. Maybe it's one hour, maybe it's 30 minutes, but focus on doing it every day. And then if you do it for more than that, brownie points, well done. And I think you'll experience the extended benefits with that as well. Let's go to number three. Clarify the priorities for the season that you're in. There's so much content out there today on the topic of time management. And I think it's valuable content, 
unless you're managing your time around the wrong priorities. Because if you haven't clarified where your time should actually be going and what actually matters most in this season, then you becoming more efficient and more effective in what you're doing is just like shifting deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Because if you're not focusing on the right thing, I honestly don't really care how efficient you are at doing the wrong things. And so what we should really start with is what I would call time leadership, because time leadership helps us say, okay, well, what are my priorities for this season? And then within those priorities, we build out our calendar. And then within our calendar, we really try to optimize efficiency and effectiveness. But you need to step back and say, as a leader right now, as it pertains to my work, what are my priorities? And so I want to give you an example. I've got five right now that I'm consistently focused on within the work that I do every day. And so here's my five, just to share with you as an example develop, connect, and serve our team, connect, celebrate, and serve our customers, study, create, and share content, participate in the leadership team, and pursue strategic growth opportunities. These are my priorities right now, and it's out of those priorities that then my calendar is based, and it's out of my calendar that I can then say, okay, how do I maximize the time blocks that I have to be really efficient and really effective? But you see what I'm talking about here? We've got to really label what are the priorities that matter most in this season. And then out of those priorities, we can focus on managing our time, clarify the priorities for the season you're in. Let's go to number four, hire an executive assistant to own your calendar. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we're actually going to have an episode coming up with my executive assistant that's just going to be outrageously practical and really, really helpful for running through how to maximize an executive assistant. But here's the thing that I really want to highlight on this point. My bet is that if you own or run a business and you don't have an executive assistant, there's things that you're doing currently on a daily basis that someone else could do. And you need to be focused on the activities that only you can do. Because you are someone that is uniquely positioned to lead and grow the business. And any time you're doing things that don't represent leading and growing the business, you are being an improper steward of the time that you've been given. Because my bet is that you get paid a pretty nice salary. And that's awesome. I think you should get paid a pretty nice salary. But the reason why you're paid that nice salary is because there's a belief organizationally and within the market that you'll be able to to generate a return on the salary that you're getting paid. And the only way that you can get paid on a six-figure $200,000 salary, $150,000 salary, something like that, maybe even more, is you can't generate a return on that by managing your calendar, by spending time in your inbox, by scheduling calls and scheduling travel, you can't generate a return that way. The only way that you can generate a return on that kind of salary is by focusing on leading the business, which is multiplying the talents and efforts of others and growing the business, which is moving it forward to where it needs to go. That is the only way that you can generate a return on what you're paying yourself. And so in many ways, if you're doing things that don't represent leading and growing the business, you're spending time rather than investing it. And I want you to be someone that is really stewarding this resource well. And the way that you do that is make sure that you're focused on the things that only you can do. 
Now, I have no doubt that it's going to take some time to get there, uh, but the point is that we need to get there, and the first step that you can take to move in that direction is to hire an executive assistant. And then the other piece of this tactic is really important, to own your calendar. Uh, Sometimes, and we'll address this more in the episode that I do with my assistant, Michelle, I've seen people hire an executive assistant, but then retain a half-clenched fist on their inbox, their calendar, and their bank account. And here's the deal. It it doesn't work that way. If you're going to hire this person, the only way you're actually going to be able to maximize them is by trusting them. So we'll talk some on the episodes coming up on this topic about how to hire well for this position, because it's obviously a position that requires you trust their integrity and competency a great deal. But then once you hire well, you got to be able to release your grip and properly delegate. Hire an executive assistant to own your calendar. Let's move to number five, schedule margin. So what is margin? Well, let's think physically. It's it's the things that they always had in elementary school at the edges of your paper to make sure you didn't run off the paper, right? Now you need the same thing on your calendar. And, and so what is margin? It's space allotted at the outside to ensure you don't overextend. I'm going to say it again. It's space allotted at the outside of something to ensure that you don't overextend. Today, we're talking about margin for your time, right? There's also profit margin. There's margin on the page. But think about this for a second. If your calendar is stacked back to back to back to back and you don't have any margin, well, then anything unexpected is going to get in the way with that plan occurring the way it was supposed to occur. And you're going to be thrown for a loop and you're constantly going to be 10 minutes late to everything. And then ultimately, there's going to be certain things that are sacrificed because you couldn't fit them into your day because everything was bleeding into the next thing. Let's not even talk about your emotional state from going back to back to back into things. Um, And and so you got to schedule margin, right? And the best part about this is Michelle, my assistant, owns my calendar and she schedules margin for me. She tries to put 15 minutes at a minimum in between activities to make sure that I'm not rushing from one thing to the next because what is going to occur? It's not a question. The unexpected. The unexpected always occurs. So why would we not build our calendar around the expectation? of the unexpected. Let's go to number six, experience margin. So we talked about scheduling margin. Now I want us to talk about experiencing margin because just because you have space in your calendar doesn't mean you experience the power and value of that space to reset yourself emotionally, to reset your focus and to replenish your energy so that you can go into the next thing. Here's what I like to do. If I'm going to finish a podcast like this, or if I'm getting out of a meeting, or if I'm getting out of a one-on-one coaching call with a customer, or if I'm getting out of a sales call with someone, I like to have some margin at the end of it, like we already talked about, that's scheduled 15 minutes on the backside of that. And then the minute I hang up the phone or press stop recording on this podcast or get off Zoom or leave the lunch with the person that I was with, here's what I like to do on my most disciplined days. I, I like to not touch my phone. That's really important and I like to go for a phone-free walk. It can be five minutes, but it's crazy how doing that helps me breathe a little bit, helps me recenter, helps get my mind back on track. And then instead of using the 15 minutes of margin that I had or the 30 minutes of margin that I had on social media or an email on things that make me more frazzled, more worked up, more anxious and not feeling replenished and restored at all, well, now I've gone on a walk and I come to the next thing actually replenished. 
Here's what I've found, though, is when I don't do that five-minute walk, I often come into the next thing scattered, and it was almost like I didn't have the margin at all. Because in my experience, email, social media, text messages, they don't actually operate as margin. So yes, you need to schedule margin, but in addition to scheduling margin, you need to experience margin. So my recommendation would be go for a quick five-minute walk in between things uh, and then come back in and enjoy the benefits of moving your body, of recentering your mind, and of replenishing your focus and energy. Okay, let's move on to number seven, guard a weekly Sabbath. Now, what is a Sabbath? Well, it's one day of your week that is reserved for rest. It means that you're not going to work. And if we want to get a little bit more detailed about it, I once heard someone say that he really tries to focus on not doing anything related to his influence or to his income on this one day of a week. But there's kind of a line of thinking that kind of says, oh man, if you just practice this Sabbath, if you reserve your Sunday for not doing any work. It's crazy how much more efficient that you'll be Monday through Saturday. And while that is practically logical, I also don't know that that line of thinking is actually spiritually helpful. Because in some ways, by saying, man, the reason why I Sabbath is so that I can be more effective Monday through Saturday, in some ways, you're making efficiency an idol at that point. Because so that conveys purpose. And if the reason why you're doing it is for efficiency's sake, well, then you're holding up efficiency as the old ultimate value. And here's what I just want us to remember. I absolutely believe this. Whether you do or not is up to you, but I do. Your efficiency is worthless without the God that made this all possible. And let's think about what that God did. In Genesis 2, it says, thus, the heaven and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So it's in that moment that God sets the example for us of six days of work, six days of activity, six days of creation, and then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, I don't think God was doing that in that moment because he needed to rest, but rather to serve as the example, as the ideal, as the aspiration for what we want to strive to achieve. And this was proven out in the Ten Commandments, where one of the Ten Commandments is literally to honor and guard the Sabbath. I once saw uh, an interview with an older pastor talking to a younger pastor, and the older pastor kind of leaned back in his chair and he said, let me ask you a question. He said, have you ever murdered anyone? <laughs> Thankfully, the, the younger pastor just kind of looked at him and a little frazzled and said, no, I've never murdered anyone. He said, okay, let me ask you another question. You ever commit adultery? And he said, no, I've never committed adultery. No, I've never done that. He said, okay, uh, let me ask you another question. Have you ever worked on a Sunday? And you just saw the guy's head hang down. And he said, because you know what? It's on the same list. And I think the reason why that was so powerful for me is 
because it raised the stakes on what Sabbath is. It's not like just this optional, convenient thing. It's a guideline and a boundary that God gave to us in our best interest, right? What is love? Love is to pour yourself out in the best interest of someone else. God loves us. He's operating in our best interest. And when he gives us a guideline or a boundary, it's not to crush our efficiency. It's not to be a cosmic killjoy. It's because he wants what's best for us. And it is prideful to say, I'm going to operate outside those boundaries because I think I know better and I can do this seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. It's just not possible. What would it look like for you to reserve one-seventh of your week for restoration? I love the way John Mark Comer talks about this in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he talks about a term that uh, I've heard the Orthodox Jewish community that we do work with up in Brooklyn, New York, use a lot, and that term is Shabbat. Here's what John Mark Comer says. He says, the Hebrew word Shabbat means to stop, but it can also be translated to delight. It has this dual idea of stopping and also of joying in God and our lives in this world. The Sabbath is an entire day set aside to follow God's example, to stop and to delight. And I love that because sometimes if we're not careful, it can become a chore to stop. And we end up stopping to follow the quote-unquote rule But then on the other side of stopping, we feel more exhausted and more frustrated and more angry and more distant from God because we didn't simultaneously take the time to delight. And what I would tell you is what I found most helpful for me is to delight in the things that are readily available to you that matter most. Good conversation with people that you love and care about really good food that you can sit down and share with friends, the time to be outside in God's creation, the time that you can spend with your family. What would it look like for you to reserve one-seventh of your days? We're not just talking about your week. One-seventh of your days, one-seventh of your life reserved for the things that matter most and reconnecting and replenishing your relationship with the God that created you. That's in your best interest. I believe that, and that's why God commanded it. So guard a weekly Sabbath. Let's go to number eight, proactively prune. If you're a leader, I bet you you're a pretty aggressive adder. And here's what I mean. You're really good at adding opportunities. You're really good at adding conversations. You're really good at adding things to your calendar. You're really good at adding to-dos. You're really good at adding commitments. And here's what's wild is so often I coincide with people or I'll even look at my own life during certain seasons and certain stages. And I'll say, man, if I'm being honest with myself, six months ago, I said I was at capacity. I said I was operating at 100%. And then I'll say, okay, what are all the things that I've added or committed to over the course of the past six months? And it's a long list. And then I'll ask, okay, well, what are the things that I took away or eliminated or pruned? And there's 
honestly, oftentimes nothing on the list. And it's crazy because I said I was at capacity, but I kept adding on, which means I kept doing more things. The quality of everything just seemed to drop. And I started to lose track of what mattered most. And I started to engage with people the way that I want to engage with people. Why? Because I overextended my reach. So what do we want to do? We want to proactively prune. Here's what a rose gardener does. And I got this illustration from just such a powerful book, Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. He talks about rose gardeners and he says, rose gardeners understand a principle that a a really healthy rose bush will produce more than it can sustain. A really healthy leader will produce more than he or she can sustain. So what does a rose gardener do? Well, they participate in the process of proactive endings. What is that called? That's called pruning. Because for a rose bush to reach optimal effectiveness and fruitfulness, you have to cut some things back so that all of the nutrients and nourishment can be dedicated to the roses that have the greatest opportunity to bloom. That's a powerful concept and a powerful idea. And so here's what Henry Cloud says you need to prune. I'm going to give you three things. Things that are good, but if you're being honest with yourself, they'll never be best. Uh, There are certain things that you're dedicating outrageous amounts of time to right now that are probably good things. And this is the hard one to prune. But if you're looking at it, you would say, man, that's never going to be best. It's never going to be the best use of my time. That's something you need to prune. Things that are sick and aren't getting better. Sometimes leaders can spend all of their time focusing on problems. And because they spend all of their time focusing on problems, they're never actually able to dedicate themselves to the idea of growth. You don't invest in health by staring at toxicity. I'm going to say that again because it's important. You don't invest in health by staring at toxicity. If things are toxic in your organization, if things are problematic, if things are sick, whether it be a product line or a person or a process, you got to figure out a way to prune that from your schedule so that you can focus on growing and not just managing toxicity. So we said you want to prune the things that are good but will never be best, the things that are sick but aren't getting better. And then finally, you want to prune the things that are dead. You've just been afraid to admit it. There's some things right now that are on your schedule. And uh, if you're being honest with yourself, they're dead, right? It's a failure. They're not producing results. They're not producing fruit. They're not moving anything forward in your life or in your business, but you're holding on because of your sunk cost. You're trying to say, I've already invested so much time and energy and effort and creativity into this thing. And I just want so bad for it to work. Uh, But here's the deal. Desire isn't a business model. And sometimes you want something so bad to work that you're unwilling to take the hard but necessary step of saying that thing is dead and it needs to be pruned. There's likely something on your schedule right now that you just need to look at and own up to the fact that it's like we gave our best and we need to cut our ties there. But then if you're like me, you kind of say, okay, well, how do I know I'm not just around the corner of a breakthrough? How do we know where it just requires a little bit more? How do we know that this is a time for pruning and not a time for persistence and perseverance? It's a great question, wisdom. 
And where does wisdom come from? Well, it comes from evaluating past experience. It comes from getting wise counsel and getting other people to look at this thing alongside you. And it comes from prayer and immersing yourself in God's truth. And if you can look at all of those things, a lot of times you'll start to find some trends and patterns and where there's a pattern, there's a principle, and it can give you clarity on whether this is a time to persevere or this is a time to prune. Let's go to number nine. Schedule vacations in advance. Here's what I see leaders too often doing. They schedule vacations in the moment that they need them and their vacation becomes a means of escape. That's not good, right? Because that means you've gone way overdue for a vacation and now you're just at this point where you're like, I just have to get away. That's not good for the organization because they weren't planning on you being gone and you just hit the eject button and fly out of there and go to some beach in Cancun and just leave them to figure out everything on your own. Not helpful. And I'm not saying I haven't been there before. I've been there before, right? What have I found that's better for me and also better for my organization and team and the customers that we exist to serve? Whenever I plan my vacations in advance. Whenever I say, okay, I'm going to need time. Maybe it's once a quarter. Maybe it's every six months in this season. Maybe it's once a month, just a day trip or something like that. I'm going to need some time to travel, to get away, to invest in solitude, to be outside. That's what I love to do on my vacations, to go do some trail running and some wild places that I've never been before. I'm going to need it once a quarter right now. So I'm going to plan those in advance and I'm going to make sure the other leaders in our organization are tagged on that calendar invite so they're aware and they can plan around kind of what I'm planning on as well. And then that gives them the ability to do the same. And what's wild is how much that prepares our organization to be in flow and to not be absolutely rocked and wrecked by any time I need to quote unquote escape. The other thing it does is it gives me as a leader something that I can look forward to, not as a means of escape, but as a means of restoration and refueling. And that gives me the ability to say, man, I'm going to be really intentional about how I plan this vacation so that when I get back from it, I'm not just saying, oh my gosh, I need another vacation. But rather when I get back from it, I'm saying, man, that was so refueling and revitalizing and I'm ready and excited to get back to work. There's one more thing on this point that I should call attention to. I'm not currently married and I don't have kids. And I know that vacation becomes a radically different thing the minute you get married, but it becomes a radically, radically, radically different thing the minute you have kids. Here's what I know to be true. The healthiest business owners that I know that are married and that have kids, they do vacations with their family and they're very intentional about those, but they also schedule vacations with just them and their spouse. And then many of them also have solitude vacations, not like three weeks at a time or two weeks at a time. Sometimes it's just one day a quarter where they go to a cabin or they go to an Airbnb or they even go to a coffee shop for a day, but they treat it like a vacation. And it's in that solitude that they're able to be re-centered on their relationship with their heavenly father on the things that they stand for so that they're able to show up not as a consumer in their marriage and with their children and with their business, but rather as a contributor. But the tactic here is to 
schedule vacations in advance. And right now, I'll tell you, I'm on a rolling 12-month calendar right now. So I've got things planned for 12 months right now um, that I'm just stoked about. And and that's not to say that everything is planned 12 months in advance, but that's really helpful for me and it's helpful for the business to have that laid out in advance. One more thing on this before I move on, and I feel like I've said one more thing a couple times here, but this is so important. You will procrastinate doing this. And I know that because I procrastinate doing this, right? For a long time, I had it like as a thing on my to-do list, like, oh, make sure you schedule your vacations. And I would always have something come up and say, oh, I'll push that and do that later. I'll push that and do that later. I'll push that and do that later. Turns out later never shows up. What's the principle at play here? Well, I think it's related to something Jordan Peterson says, treat yourself as someone you're responsible for helping. So often, we don't treat ourselves as someone that we are uniquely responsible for helping. And we're so focused on serving others, which is necessary and good and powerful, but in the process of serving others, we completely neglect to realize that, man, I'm a human being, I have needs, and I better make sure those needs are met because otherwise my service of others is radically unsustainable. And so it's interesting, and I think, I personally believe this is spiritual warfare going on. The lie that you'll get in your head is this is selfish to take time to schedule my vacations in advance, and in reality, it's incredibly humble because what you're saying in that time is I'm a human being, I'm limited, and I'm finite. I can't do it all, and I'm not even going to try, and therefore I need to make sure I'm proactively planning for replenishment and restoration. Now, certainly there's a path that leads to you going way overboard with this that can be selfish, egotistical, and narcissistic, but my bet is that if you're even concerned about this, you're not on that track. Treat yourself as someone you're responsible for helping. Schedule your vacations in advance. Okay, let's jump to number 10. And number 10 is a simple one to talk about, way harder to practice. Remove social media from your phone. Um, Here's the deal. We know this to be true, and I don't think any of you would argue with this. Social media is addictive by design. It's how they created it to work on the dopamine systems within our brain so that we are hardwired to come back to it and to want more of it and to constantly keep seeking something from it that is never quite totally fulfilled. And man, me carrying that around with me in my pocket everywhere is like an alcoholic saying, oh, I just keep my Jack Daniels with me everywhere I go, not because I'm going to drink it, but just because I like to have it near me. And that person says, oh, I, I'll be able to say no. Well, I, if I was that person, I wouldn't trust myself to do that. Why do we take that approach with this thing that is also highly addictive, although maybe the ramifications are a little less visible or less immediately destructive? Uh, The question is not, do you have a propensity to be addicted to social media? The question is, do you realize that you have a propensity to be addicted to social media? And so I would tell you what I've found is that it is more helpful for me that when I want to post something from my phone to literally re-download the specific app, post the thing from my phone, and then undownload it than it is for that to just constantly be a well that I come back to. I think it's wise and in your best interest to remove social media from your phone. Finally, let's go to number 11, love God and love people. 
Now, you may be saying, uh, okay, well, how does this relate to my time? How is this necessarily a tactic? Because all these other ones have been extremely actionable. This feels a little bit more broad and ambiguous. Well, here's why I wanted to include this to close out this episode. A lot of times, one of the leading indicators that I'm improperly stewarding my time is that I fail to do these two things. And what did Jesus say? Well, Jesus said in Matthew, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When I poorly steward my time, when I get too busy, when I get too hurried, when I get too prideful and try to fit too many priorities or too many commitments into the time that I have, the thing that I often sacrifice is my time with my heavenly father and my time to invest in and contribute to and love other people. And the minute those two things go, well, it just becomes this devolving, absolutely vicious cycle that just falls apart because if I'm disconnected from the vine, I'm going to wither and I'm ultimately going to die. And so one of the things that I often have to focus on is if I'm ever at a point where I'm not prioritizing time to love God and love people or where my actions don't actually reflect that I love God and love people, one of the things that I've got to do is I've got to look at my calendar and I've got to participate in pruning. And that's not proactive pruning. That's reactive pruning at some point. But It's way better to reactively prune than to subscribe to a lifestyle that leaves you disconnected from your creator and disinterested in your fellow man. I don't want that for you. God and people are the point. And we should be organizing our time in such a way to make sure that those things that we say are the priorities are actually the priorities. Okay, let's run through all 11 tactics. And my challenge to you would not to be to establish all 11 all at once, because like we said, it's really easy to initiate a lot of these. It's way harder to sustain all of these. My challenge to you would be maybe share this with a friend and y'all choose one to three that you can really focus on for this season and see how they go. Number one, clarify and document your big three for each day. Number two, engage in distraction-free work once a day. We prescribe one hour a day. Uh, Number three, clarify the priorities for the season you are in. Number four, hire an executive assistant to own your calendar. Number five, schedule margin. Number six, experience margin. Number seven, guard a weekly Sabbath. Number eight, proactively prune. Number nine, schedule vacations in advance. Number 10, remove social media from your phone. And then number 11, love God and love people. Uh, Y'all, if this content was helpful, we send out an email with very similar written content and also a video every single week. That email is called Worth It Wednesday. The reason why we call it that is because I think most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time and it's not worth your energy. So we said, man, if we're going to send an email, it better be worth it. So every Wednesday, we're going to send you a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can sign up for that by clicking the link that's in the show notes or going to pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. Our whole team is rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.